You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Mark Colgan, co-founder at Speak On Podcast and outbound prospecting coach at the Sales Impact Academy. How are you today, Mark? I'm very good, Ray. Thank you. I'm in Lisbon, Portugal, and the sun is shining, so I can't complain. I'm a bit jealous about that. I am in Purley, south of London, and the sun is definitely not shining. However, <laughs> it's raining out there, and it's absolutely miserable. So now Lisbon is a great, great, uh, is a great place. How come you are there? I mean, do you live in Lisbon? or? Yeah, I do now. I am escaping Brexit. So I applied for residency in, in Portugal and managed to secure that just before the end of the year. So I'm going to be staying in Lisbon for the foreseeable. Are you fluent in Portuguese yet? Not, not just yet, but I can practice with Kat maybe and, and some, yeah, some other people around here. Yeah, yeah that's great. Well, that's a good idea. Why not? I mean, I'm sure Portugal is, a, is, I mean, Lisbon is a fantastic city. Great, great yeah. city. I went there for the first time three years ago. I was amazed. Just beautiful, full of history. Food is mm-hmm. great. People are nice. You know, nothing to yeah. complain about. You, you can walk everywhere in around 20 minutes. And in fact, I was here for the first lockdown last year and I had the choice to go back to the UK or stay in, in Lisbon. And I thought, I'm going to stay in Lisbon and, and see how uh, the Portuguese dealt with it. And uh, fortunately, they dealt with it a lot better than other countries at the time. So um, I thought it was a good choice. And what's the situation with COVID-19 in Portugal? Is, that, is, is it contained or you... you uh, uh, unfortunately, the numbers are rising up now and it's actually, they're affected a lot worse than they were the first time round. Um, and they believe it's because they kind of released some of the restrictions for Christmas and New Year. So a lot of people spent time together. So there, there will be a new lockdown coming in. I think the government are going to be announcing it today. So um, it's kind of wait and see, but, uh, but still, well, welcome to the party. <laughs> anyway, let's get down to business, Mark. So today we will be talking about how to get your lead research right. Such an important key element of success is getting the research right. Okay? Absolutely. But before we get into the conversation, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself, Mark, and your career in the B2B sales world? Of course. Yeah. So my my career actually started around 13 years ago where I started in sales pretty much as a business development rep, rep, but in the world of recruitment. So really you're selling two things. You're selling an opportunity to a candidate and you're also selling a person to the hiring manager. So being able to sell probably one of the hardest things, which is a person with emotions and decisions and changing uh, changing their decisions. It really gave me uh, some very solid foundations in, in sales. I later in my career moved into marketing, but had always been closely aligned with sales. And then more recently, um, I ran a company called Task Drive, which is all about lead research and data enrichment. So in the, uh, just over the year that I spent there, I looked into over 100 outbound campaigns to help our customers get more with the data that they were researching, which is where I developed these lead sourcing playbooks um, that we're going to talk about today. And then just outside of, of that, I run an agency called Speak on Podcasts. I do some work with product onboarding for SaaS companies. And I mentor startups through Growth Mentor and Scalewise. There you go. You never sleep, basically. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Having, having no family, no children, it gives me a little bit more time. So, uh, Tell me about it. I've got two of those. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's challenging. Nothing to complain about that great kids. But yeah, it does change your life a little bit. Yeah. You, you touched on, on, on actually my first question around um, the, the lead sourcing playbook. So, you know, I, I guess... We've all been there. I mean, I have, maybe not all our listeners today have been there, but 
we know the importance of, of getting your research right before you engage. You, know, you can't just rely on database, the good old day of speaking or targeting an Excel spreadsheet and calling contact by contact, going to the next one, saying the same thing to lots of people, that number volume game and stuff like that was maybe a thing in the 90s, 80s, but you know, now you've got to work a little bit harder. You need to look at triggers, you need to look at buyer personas, you need to look at personal journey, you've got multi-buyer persona cycle. It is a little bit more complicated. You've got more mediums as well to, to, to touch people. So yeah, I guess first question, and you, you, you bridge it quite nicely, uh, could you please walk us through some of the lead sourcing playbooks that you developed? Basically? Of course, of course. And, and where, where these lead sourcing playbooks or where the inspiration came from is uh, I read, and I'm not sure if you read that the Chet Holmes, The Ultimate Sales Machine, uh, came out in about 2007, but it's still as relevant as it was then as it, as it is today. And um, in that book, he mentions that only 3% of your market are actively buying. 7% may be interested in buying, but the remaining 90% just aren't in an active buying mode. So I yeah. started to ask myself the question, how do I find people who are more likely to buy? And the answer that I fell upon is relevance and timing. So when I started to think about, well, how do I identify relevancy and how do I identify timing? I started to think about, I guess, the triggers or the events happening in my prospects' lives that would, be, would uh, signal that they're more likely to buy. So some of the lead sourcing playbooks, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll name a few of them and we can dive into some of that in, in a bit more detail. Um, so there'll be some that you've heard before. I, I listened to Michael Hansen's um, podcast uh, for, from a few weeks ago where he talked about the triggers. So raising a round of funding is often a good sign that a company is growing and therefore they have new targets, which they have, they have to change the way that they've been working to achieve those targets. Another signal would be if they're currently hiring, so if they're growing into the, in their team and um, they're expanding their team, again, they may need new solutions. Uh, other ones around the company is uh, technology that they use. And then from a persona point of view, so the actual prospect themselves, if they've just started a new role, that's a really good time to initiate conversations with a potential prospect because most people, when they start a new role, have the motivation to change things, to do things differently, and to really uh, have a large impact on the business they're joining. So they're much more likely to be in a buying mode as well. Uh, the technology they use, as I mentioned before, is, is another good one. But then also one, one of my favorite ones is that I called it the social expansion. With LinkedIn uh, being such the platform it is, there's lots of influencers on there talking about various different topics. And when uh, a lot of people in their LinkedIn posts say, uh, comment here to find out more. So if somebody's commenting on SaaS pricing, for example, and the people are saying, and, and they've said, comment here if you want the PDF. Those 300 people that wanted that PDF about SaaS pricing are obviously interested in learning more about SaaS pricing, and they may be looking for a new solution. So it's thinking about what happens, what are these events, what information can I see, and really taking just a hypothesis that these people may be more likely to, um, to be interested in, in your product or solution, or they have a problem that you can solve. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I believe that you've got around 14 of those playbooks. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is. And um, I've put them all into a webinar, which we can link up to in the show notes. It's not behind a form or anything. It's for anybody to, to listen to. It's about 20 minutes of me talking and explaining each of the playbooks in a bit more detail. Interesting. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get the link to that to, to look at them in detail. I had the, in the preparation of today, I had the different titles and you know the, the kind of spirit about it, but I've not really listen to every single one of them. So I should definitely give it a good go. Maybe you can orient me as well. Out of those 14 playbooks, 
which one did you see companies getting the, be the best result from? Yeah, so it really does, as you know, with the companies and clients that you work with, every company is very different. Um, I'll give some examples of some of the campaigns I work with with our customers. Uh, one was actually a friend of mine who was a cold email copywriter, and uh, you'd think that they wouldn't be short of work, but they were looking to work with better, uh, better companies and clients. So what we actually uh, did with uh, what I helped my friend with is I looked on Product Hunt, which is a website where lots of products are launched. And we looked at the cold email outreach tools, such as Lemlist, Mailshake, uh, Reply.io, Outreach, Salesloft, and saw the people that were upvoting and interacting with those products. So what we took the hypothesis was if somebody is upvoting this type of product, then they're interested in using it and therefore they're interested in cold email. So we sent out a message to each of, we enriched the data and sent out a message to each of those uh, people once we quite kind of qualified them to say, we will review your cold email, um, so, uh, your cold email copy. And if we think of any, if we can think of any improvements, we'll, we will suggest those for you. Uh, we actually had to stop that campaign because after only about 30 messages, the, uh, my, my friend was just too busy to deal with any more inbound leads. And again, it's because we were targeting people that we knew were interested rather than targeting every VP of sales in London, of which there's tens of thousands of on, on LinkedIn. So it's really narrowing that, that 3%. Um, another, another one that I, I've used uh, quite successfully is the new technology. So we were working with a HubSpot agency. So they, they help with HubSpot CMS and, and the marketing automation. Um, so what we did is we set up a trigger alert using similar tech. And similar tech allows you to say, tell me when company in this location of this website size starts using a particular technology. We obviously chose HubSpot. And then we, uh, we use that as the trigger to send out an automated email with some personalization, not, not too personalized, which offered some value in the terms of content, which were here are the things to avoid when getting started with HubSpot. And what they were doing was investing and depositing the goodwill and, and giving value in, the, uh, in their prospects so that when they did have a need, when they did have a challenge, these were the people that they thought of uh, to, to come, come work with. Uh, another one other example before I, t I take a pause is um, we were working with a company in, in the cloud security space and they wanted to target people specifically that had this certification. Um, so we looked at LinkedIn Learning where there was a course about this particular piece of technology and the certification. And we used that as the reason to reach out to people because we knew that they were certified. We knew that they would have the problem that the, the, the software um, helped them overcome. Um, so it's all about thinking what is happening in my prospect's life before they need yeah. the solution that I sell. Yeah, it's about finding the trigger to, to the trigger to really get to the people who are in the market of maybe not buying, but at least interested to have a conversation. The people that can give you a yes or a no. What do we do? What do you do with the rest of the population? So, do any of your playbooks are supporting people who are more in a type of account-based type of approach where? You know, you kind of go, you need to go the other way where you're like, oh, look, I really want to get into that company mm -hmm. and I need to find a trigger. I need to find a way to engage with them. So it's not about saying, okay, well, this is what I'm selling and this is what yep. the people should be interested. So let's go and do some reverse search to try to identify the percentage of the population. As you mentioned, that's three, five percent. But when you, when you have to get in, do, do, do you have playbooks that support that in your, in your, in your arsenal? Yeah, so there's a number of different software providers out there that look at kind of the company level updates. So whether they've raised around funding, there's mergers and acquisition activity, they're opening up new offices, they're hiring aggressively, they've raised around the funding. 
all of those are triggers that people can use to reach out. And, you know, sometimes in some campaigns, you can mention that. Other times, you may not want to mention it, and it just happens to be good timing that you're reaching out at that time. So that's often the follow-up question I get asked is, do you reference the trigger? And I think in some cases you can, and in other cases you, you don't need to. Uh, but that's typically when your total addressable market might be a little bit smaller and you can spend a little bit more time doing the research as well, especially if you're yeah. taking an account-based uh, marketing approach. Yeah, we do a fair amount of this. And, you know, I think the first time I actually got that realization was probably back in 2000, probably five or six. And I remember sitting next to a guy, a British guy, who was prospecting in the, in the UK. I was a BDR at the time myself. And, uh, and he really wanted to get into British Airways. He wanted to get some, I can't remember what he was selling. I can't remember which was the, who was the client, but he really wanted to go into British Airways. And he did a ton of research and, and he was reading their, um, their company public uh, you know, account announcement, like their quarterly yeah. announcement. And you know, they, they kind of speak about what, what their strategic directions are. Uh, but then he just went on to Google, and I think he was probably relatively new at the time. I don't know if Google was was just doing it or what, but he, he just got he found this, this news article. He managed to get to, uh, to to look at news, and he found an article in the Financial Times where they were speaking about uh, British Airways requiring to do saving all across the business mm-hmm. because the cost of kerosene was going up. Okay, and obviously yeah. kerosene is what you put in the plane. And I remember him taking all that information, piecing it together, and going straight at the top and say, look, based on what I've read, all my desk research, you are looking at reducing cost. I've been speaking with such and such vendor, and we believe we can reduce your cost on that part for, by approximately 25%. But I also believe that you probably spend around 6 to $10 million per year on there. So basically, mm-hmm. I've got two and a half million maybe of saving to suggest to you. Who yeah. is the best person to speak to about that? And people will actually help him to find the right guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the time, LinkedIn was not as predominant and people yeah. were not trying on LinkedIn. And, and you had to prospect by speaking to people. You speak mm-hmm. to someone, you pitch them, they tell you something else, you speak to a PA, you pitch yeah. them. And it was another way of doing it. And, and he actually managed to get a meeting and actually close the deal. Amazing. And I was, I was all witnessing that, yeah, sitting next to him, but... You know, and, and that's really when I've got the declick about, look, it's not about me and what I've got to tell them. It's about them and what they're experiencing. How can I find, how can I find technically the trigger mm-hmm. that, uh, as you say, you could, you could do a reverse search. It could be based on the people. They just recruited someone new. They're hiring a new head of sale. Uh, they are speaking about doing a, a new talent program or they are raising some money for what's a, whatever reason. But for the larger company like like um, like uh, like the BA of this world and everything, it's often about what's happening in their accounts. It's often mm-hmm. often what's happening in the news. It's everything is linked with the market share. And Absolutely. how do you drive more from your market share? This is really what interests the C-suite because they're a public organization. And yeah. and that's yeah. why I started to document myself and really go with that approach to market and 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 that, that helped me drastically, not only in my career as a BDR but also you know, understanding more what's happening at the C-suite and really the conversation that people are having. Yeah, I, I think as well, you can distill pretty much most departments' objectives, most that I've sold into in the past, is either to make more money, so increase their revenue, or reduce costs, or be more efficient. So there's three objectives there that you could really target uh, on uh, when reaching out. 
An example of uh, another customer that I've worked with in the past, they're in the pricing intelligence. So they work with e-commerce brands and retail stores and they help analyze what the competitors are doing. So they, they're in a unique position where they have all this data. They just need to be pointed in the right direction to then to produce the valuable uh, reporting from it. Their deal sizes are rather large, which means their total and their total addressable market is fairly large as well. But they can take a very, very personalized approach to their outreach. So what they do is they reach out to the five big uh, leaders in whatever category that they're targeting and then offer to produce a competitor report for them. And it's producing value. And, and, you know, yes, that requires some work. Does it scale? Not really. But when the deal size justifies the effort that it takes yeah. to create that report, then, then it's worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, Mark. And, you know, how, how would you suggest to salespeople to use the, the context of their research when they reach out to company uh, that they identify as the most relevant? So what's the best way to package it? I mean, you mentioned cold email. You know, but is, is there a, a, a better delivery method, a better sequence, a better, basically, how would you go about it if there is a method as such? Yeah, so um, I still believe cold calling is one of the far most effective channels when it comes to, to sales, but it really does depend who, who you're selling to as well. If you're selling to uh, tradies like electricians and plumbers, they're not going to be answering email. So I wouldn't suggest email picking up the phone and speaking to them is going to be more helpful. But at the same time, um, depending on your the maturity of your prospects, uh, you don't want to spook them, okay? So I think yeah. for sales and marketing people, they know what reverse IP lookup is, which is when somebody visits your site from an office, you can tell that, that person has looked at your website. Whereas a teacher or, or maybe even a HR manager may not be that technically a, techno, uh, be aware of the technology. So it really does depend on, on the prospect. I think you can reference certain um, certain triggers if they're raise, if they're if they've raised a round of funding if they've um, if they're currently hiring because it's obvious it's public data anybody can see that the key is though not to pitch your product or service it's really to start with a question uh, I think my main methodology when it comes to outbound is that it's not about a booking appointments it's about starting conversations so I always like to lead with questions to really probe on the pain that I think that they may be experiencing by asking them are you experiencing this pain yeah that makes sense. But you know what, even sometimes what I've seen working on my side is getting ahead of the curve. So, you know, may it be funding, may it be, uh, may it be uh, from a technology perspective. So funding example, you know, one of the things that we do at Operatix, we actually try to engage with company pre-funding. We spend a fair amount of time working with, with incubators and trying to meet with people who are basically, they don't have any money, they've got alpha functional product, but a great big ID. And we mm -hmm. start speaking to them about what the market is like out there. And we start the conversation really early. Because what we see, we see that some triggers like fundings on Crunchbase are being absolutely used and abused by thousands of people. Literally, mm -hmm. the day it's announced, you've got, I don't know how many alerts going out everywhere. And it's too late. People are just overwhelmed. And yep. all those guys that would not speak to them prior to them getting any money, are now very interested to speak to them. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why we try to get early. But we've also seen it sometimes using a bit of a change ourselves speech. And I think one of the best examples was the first one where we really recognized that. Uh, we worked with, uh, with a company called Trend Micro. They've been a client for, for a while. Uh, but uh, at some points of their, their, their life cycle, they acquired a company called Third Brigade that was managing vulnerabilities in a virtualized environment. Okay, that's kind of the headline. Mm -hmm. 
but back to when we, we back in the days, everybody was doing a bit of virtualization, but people would just have a couple of servers doing virtualization, not a lot of virtualization. That was the beginning of VMware, okay? And we were just getting that resistance of people not getting it. And what we decided to do is to change the message around and say, look, it's very simple. If you have not at least 30% of your park virtualized, and if you're not embracing the journey to virtualization, let's not waste any more time. You're not a pioneer, and you're not the sort of person we want to speak to. Plus, you don't have the headache of managing vulnerabilities. You probably put part of your infrastructure that you don't care about on that virtualized environment. So, you know, let's not talk to you. But I just want to assess that. And by saying that, you kind of make them think, mm, am I doing the right thing? And, and also, you will have people that say, well, look, no, I'm not. But in the next two to three years, I'm planning on doing it. And then Trend as a client was good enough to say, we want to speak to those people early. We want to mm -hmm. tell them about the journey. Why? Because they knew that security would be a foot on the brake for the journey to virtualization. Like, like you mentioned with your cloud security customers, security mm -hmm. is the foot on the brake for the move to the cloud. You know, most people don't do it because it's probably better to have a server and a tape in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in some sort of uh, uh, safe, whatever, safe, safe, mm -hmm. safely, you have to be like, a big door, whatever. But that's the thing. Once you get those triggers, you can really speak about, look, who are you in your journey? I am led to believe that organization of your size, the people I'm speaking to in your organization, they are really leading to the cloud. The reality is that I don't know how much you are pushing. So are you a leader or follower when it comes to cloud? Mm -hmm. And then you, you kind of get the feel. And, and, and it's about getting them at the right time. But sometimes what we've seen very for the largest deals, for the disruptive, for the more, more complex sales, is to get people involved before they actually have the trigger. So really when they're in the planning of thinking, okay, I really should push that, but this is all the issue and I've got lots of other things to do. And you kind of yeah. give them a light bulb moment where they're like, okay, you know what? That's actually putting most of my concern at risk now. So let's actually accelerate that because that would really deliver value for my business. Yeah. I think it's a, it's, a really, it's a really good example, and, and I want to share an example, which I wasn't involved in, but um, I listened to the story, and it's a, a software called Gorgeous. They're a help desk software for e-commerce oh, brands. Gorgeous, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with them? No, 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 no. No, I've okay. like <laughs> I think it's a French company, so I may have pronounced it wrong, but I, I'm reading it as, it as it looks, so I'm saying it as it looks. They, they essentially use the, uh, the trigger of somebody installing a live chat software on their e-commerce site, so Shopify in particular. So they looked at all Shopify sites that had started using live chat. Now, when somebody just starts using live chat, that's not the time for Gorgeous. It doesn't help them when they've just got one or, one or two chats coming in an hour. Um, it really help, it, they, it really come, the product really comes into its own once it has high volume. And it uses AI to help understand the, the sentiment and all the different questions. You know, it's got, I'm not a salesperson gorgeous, so I'm probably butchering their pitch. However, what they did is they started to build that relationship with these Shopify store owners as they were growing. And they geared a lot of their content to say, here's how you grow your e-commerce brand. So here's how you market your e-commerce. Here's, here's the ultimate guide to Facebook ads in 2018, whatever it may be. Again, this company isn't a Facebook ad agency. It's, it's not selling them that service, but they're providing value to help get their customers to the point where they would need a solution like Gorgeous. And again, who's the person that they're going to go to when they're saying, well, my help desk is overwhelming. Absolutely. I need to employ more uh, customer experience professionals or do I just need a solution that can help um, find the efficiencies in, in the support that we, 
we're giving. And, and that's actually how they grew very quickly and, and generated their first 1,000 customers, was investing in providing value. And it, like you say, the challenger sale um, there of like helping people, asking questions, making sure that they are, are they aware of what we do and, and how we do it. Um, but yeah, that's the story of how uh, Gorgeous created their first 1,000 customers. And just another example, slightly away from sales, I used to work in the data center industry um, for a design and build company. So they built data centers or designed and built them. Um, there's a huge conference every year um, in, at the XL in London. It's almost a kilometer long. It's a huge exhibition. One year, we decided not to go and get the big stand that they normally did. And I managed to secure around £2,000 to put behind a bar. Um, and the reason I did that is because I knew that the majority of people are uh, middle-aged men and they like golf so and they like beer so we put out on a happy hour we raffled off a golf uh, trip ticket um, but really what people are interested in is finding out what other, what their peers are doing and especially in this world of, of the data center industry from that um, from that event we ran the, the company was able to build the relationship with a prospect that had been trying to reach and it turned into a 10 million dollar deal um, and then that actually replicated into a further 10 million dollar deal after they delivered the data center um, they were asked to replicate it in America. So almost $20 million off £2,000 ad spend, again, just by connecting people and putting peers in the same room, giving them some beer and the opportunity to win a golf trip. Um, so again, it's, it, going back to your point, it's about thinking about what do they really want. They want to learn. They want to know whether they're doing a good job. They want to understand from you, who has a unique insight into hundreds of campaigns or hundreds of customers, and learning from your insights is one of the best ways to kind of build yourself, uh, sorry, uh, position yourself as a trusted advisor and not that salesperson. Yeah, yeah. And if there is beer involved, it makes things even better. So that's, Happy that's days, it. yeah. So thanks for that, Mark. Um, it, it was a great chat. Um, what we do at this stage of the, of the conversation, and just to close off, is to ask our uh, guest to tell us how our listener can get in touch with them if they wish to carry on the conversation or if they want to speak to you about Speak On Podcast or the Sales Impact Academy, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So what is the best way to get hold of you, Mark? Yeah, the best way to reach me is LinkedIn. So you can search for Mark Colgan. Um, there's not too many of Mark Colgans on there. Um, and if you want to find out about some of the other projects I'm working on, then I have a website, markcolgan.co.uk. Perfect. Well, it was great to have you on the podcast today. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ray. Really appreciate it. Take care. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.